This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. This morning's first reading is from the prophet Amos. Alas, for those who are at ease in Zion and for those who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Alas, for those who lie on beds of ivory and lounge on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and, like David, improvise on instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first to go into exile, and the revelry of the loungers shall pass away. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be God. Second reading is from the letter to Timothy. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have found, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, men of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the life of Jesus today is found in Luke's Gospel, 
It's found in the 16th chapter. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. And even the the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things. Lazarus, in like manner, evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, well, then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he might warn them, so that they won't come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus. Amen. Every culture, unfortunately, has a story exactly like that one that I just read. Every culture. There are two kinds of people, the story goes, in this world and in the next. Two kinds of people. There are rich people and there are poor people. And there's a gap between them. So if you're rich here, you're going to be poor there. Sorry. And if you're poor here, the very best you can hope for now is that, well, you'll be rich there. There's a gap between the rich and the poor here, and there's a gap between the rich and the poor there. Here a gap, there a gap, everywhere a gap, gap. So one way to read this parable would be, unlike all of Jesus' other parables, that Jesus is just regurgitating a dominant cultural narrative explaining why the rich and poor is just the way it is. Not likely. One of the things that I am fond of telling you is that the law of God is not consensual law. Consensual law is like what Congress does. Consensual law is the the speed limit. Somebody says, this is what the speed limit is. And if you uh, get caught going over the speed limit, there's going to be some consequences. But if you don't get caught, you know, well, no harm, no foul. The law of God is more like the law of nature. It's like the law of gravity. It's how God made the world, and, and it's how things work within all of that creation. No one actually breaks the law of gravity and doesn't have a consequence to that. And, and by sharing those laws with us about how the world 
how real human being community functions uh, with us is, is a gift to us. It's, a, it's an opportunity to, to live life as peacefully and as, and as holistically as possible. Example, when you teach a child not to touch the hot burner on the stove, you, you are not punishing them capriciously. You're just blessing them by telling them how things are. So, in this cultural narrative, there is a rich man and there is a poor man. For one, all of life is a feast, and for the other, everything's a famine. Different worlds. But, as Jesus tells the story, somehow, some way, those different worlds are actually connected. The poor man dies, the rich man dies, and that is what Walter Walter Brueggemann calls the dreaded moment of equity for all people, rich or poor, we die. And then as the cultural story goes, a great cosmic reversal takes place. The poor man gets to sit next to Abraham, in the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man uh, is tormented in Hades, uh, which doesn't really mean hell, it means the the place of the dead. And there ain't no crossing that gap in this life or in the next between rich and poor here or there. So the rich man says to himself, whoa, did I ever blow it? Now I have to be poor here. So he says to Father Abraham, we, I think that's hilarious, we need to send someone to warn my father and my brothers. And I can do a whole sermon on that, just believe me. The only people he actually wants to warn are the people in his own family. The people are exactly like him. And he wants to send old Lazarus, the poor guy down there, to do it for him. Father Abraham says, they got Moses and the prophets. They have the law of God. There's not supposed to be a gap anywhere, ever. That's the way God created things. There's not supposed to be a gap. We're supposed to love God, and we're all supposed to love our neighbors. That's the way the world was put together. And the man says, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if someone would just go to the rich people and tell them from the dead, then they're going to get it. What if heaven or hell are not way out there somewhere? What if they're like right here, right now? And what if heaven is when everybody's gathered at the same gigantic table, and hell is when some people are missing or not allowed to join? What if heaven and hell have absolutely nothing to do with creedal statements? That is, what is I believe up in my head or in my heart? What if it's built in? to the very fabric of the human condition by a gracious and a loving God that heaven is when everybody's together and hell is when they're broken apart. There's actually no ambiguity about that in the Bible. It's clear in all three of our readings today from Moses to Amos to Jesus to Paul to Timothy and now to us. There is a gap between the rich and the poor, and there should not be. It's not created to be that way. And Jesus gets into the middle of that gap 
And those who authentically follow Jesus do exactly the same thing. And filling that gap, says Timothy to, to, Paul, to, to Paul to Timothy, filling that gap, that's where the life that's really life is found. That's where heaven's really at when the gap is filled. So the same Jesus who said, I've come not to abandon the law, but to fulfill it, tells a story. And let's not forget that he's actually living this story out. And appeals to us, don't go all them and us on us. Don't go rich and poor. Don't go pink and brown. Don't go gay and straight. Don't go believer and unbeliever. Don't go Republican, Democrat. Think this through with me for just a moment. If there's always going to be a gap, no matter what, that's just the way it is in this life and in the next, and as the cultural narrative goes, it's just going to get reversed someday out there in the great make-believe, kind of depressingly begs the question, well, why should we even try? Or should beg the question, when we are gathered, why church? Why be the church together? try to answer that for a moment. Uh, I need the church. I, I, I want you to hear that I need the church. If anyone has the idea that going to church is about coming, get like a little shot of Jesus so you can feel good about yourself and only about yourself, you're, you're really kind of missing what the real role of what the beloved community of Jesus is about. And I think that that's not really your issue. I think it is ours. Um, I think it's on us, the church. I learned a big new word this week at seminary. I'll probably repeat a thousand times because it so impressed me. The, the word is that the church needs a compelling ecclesiology, which means a compelling vision for why would you even want to be the church? Why would I want to be the church today if it's just going to be karmically turned upside down in another world because that's just the way it is? Why would... Anyone want to be part of a religion that has a God that is just capriciously angry and bent on separating people into them and us. I mean, according to Jesus, the kingdom of God, which he often calls the kingdom of heaven, is right now. And each and every one of us as church, we can be part of that kingdom. Paul notes to Timothy, who is preparing to lead in the church, that there's a lot of temptation out there in being rich. A lot of temptation in the love of money. I mean, tell me this isn't true. We, we just need to expose it every once in a while. But in most of our minds, I mean, I know what we say up here, but in most of our minds, the best chance we have of breaking free from all of the hassles and all of the worries and all of the struggles and all the pains, laying to the life that it's really life, we actually think it's money. We think that's the solution. Get a good education, we tell children. Why? Because you're going you're to make more money. Work hard, work hard, so you make more money. Save, invest, so that you have more money. Buy a lottery ticket. Be a drug dealer to have more money. Same ethic. Paul says it like this to Timothy. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by a senseless and harmful desire that plunges people into ruin and to destruction. And we're bombarded by every single day of our life. It's so much that it's like invisible in our lives. If I just buy one more of these, 
or wear one of these or drive one of these or dine here or vacation there, then, then I am really happy, or at least I look happy to the rest of the world. But woe unto those poor schmucks who can't keep up, who can't afford to buy the things that we're selling them, who haven't wisely invested, who can't maintain their lifestyles. Woe unto those losers and failures and misfits. Woe unto the poor. Ah, someday they'll be fine. It's a trap. And this is easy to miss. In this story, sooner or later, both the rich and the poor are in hell. There is a need for authentic communities in faith that believe that God's loving reign is here and is now for everyone. There's a need for loving communities of faith that are committed to reaching out to one another and helping each other to swim against the stream and to counter the culture and to sustain each other and affirm each other. And and to do that, not because someday everything's going to be reversed, but in response to a vision of a gapless world that Jesus not only proclaimed, but he also lived and breathed and ultimately rose from the dead so that every single person could do it right now. So one reason for being the church is to help those who are rich in the world. And one reason for being the church is to help those who are poor in the world. One reason is to help each other in the way of the kingdom of God. I've been thinking about this quite some time this week. I, you know, I, I got this honor at the seminary. It was very nice. Um, there were three people honored, and the last person to be honored um, was sold into child slavery in Haiti when he was five. Beaten and abused, ended up, thank God, in a, a religious orphanage. Ended up creating another orphanage like that, saved thousands of people's lives uh, against the epidemic of cholera. When there was an earthquake there, got people on boats on his own risk of his own life and got people to safety. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm being honored for what? <laughs> Standing next to a guy, I can't begin to imagine what it had been like to be sold by my parents to someone else. How desperately alone, how how alienated, how invisible you must feel to God even when no one even sees you covered in sores, happy to eat somebody else's garbage on the other side of a rich man's wall who, by the way, doesn't even know your name. What I think a lot of us are missing and we're waking up to in the church is that we are inhabiting the same real estate. We're in the same neighborhood. And we will be forever. It's not them and us. Never has been, never will be. It's us and us. And it's we. It's we, all of God's beloved children. Bishop James Salisbury says that whenever he is uh, passing someone who is begging on the street, um, that he always stops and says, thank you for asking. And then, even if he doesn't have anything to give them, he says, my name is James what is your name? <laughs> powerful, powerful. It'd probably be easier to notice each other and love each other, 
truth now if we weren't so caught up in the pursuit of money. And it'd probably be easier not to get caught up in the pursuit of money if we were part of a community that wasn't just people who looked like me and had the same resources as me and believed the same as me. A community that did have a compelling vision where the world was not them and us. Recognize that there are no gaps. There is no wall. There is no border. There is no Jew or Gentile, male or free, slave. All one family of beloved children. So here's an example. I'm trying to give an example of how it actually works being part of a community and why I need the church. This sounds like such a simple question. It's a little bit embarrassing. How many towels do you think Jim and Ann Wilson need? Now, I'm, I'm a little bigger, so I might need a little, couple more towels than everybody else. But how, how many towels did Jim and Ann Wilson need? Well, I can tell you that I learned in the last two weeks from my church, from Melissa Parker and Amy Estep, Chris Buss, that there, there are neighbors of mine who don't have a towel to dry off on. And Jim and Ann Wilson have way too many towels. Now, sure, Jim and Ann Wilson can drop a few bucks every now and then in a GoFundMe cause that makes me feel good, makes the world a little bit better. We do that. Of course we do. And we can drop money in little buckets here and there, and we do. But what we really need and what we need to be supportive of and participate in is we need a community that calls us to something more than the pursuit of our own happiness, but to the pursuit of a compelling vision of God's world. See, the very definition of hell is the opposite of the beloved community of Jesus. It's when there's this gap, when we're isolated, when we're alone, when we're separated from each other. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, it's the same hell. And Jesus refused to acknowledge that kind of gap. He ate with sinners, touched lepers, included women, welcomed children, fed everyone, died and rose for the whole world. And that vision of what heaven looks like, what the life that's really life looks like, here and there, where there are no distinctions and no gaps, that's the reason that we exist as a church. We're all interconnected, every one of us, all across the whole globe, all of us. We're all sinners, yep, and we are all saints, and we're all broken, every one of us, and yet we are all loved, and we're all hungry, and we're all fed. Heaven and hell right now is about how we care for each other, whether or not we see each other, know each other's names, whether or not we love God, yes, but also whether we love each other. So Jesus tells this absolutely crazy story today, and, and frankly, it's, it's crazier after the resurrection than it was before. There is this rich man that finally comes to his senses in the next life. He finally gets it that the source of all of his frustration and all of his torment is this gap that somehow separated him from, from this poor man, Lazarus, to the point that his dogs knew who he was before he did in heaven. And at last, he gets it. He sees it. And he starts wondering, well, how, how can I get that message out there to people that I love and that I care for? And then it occurs to him, hey, what if... What if someone rose from the dead and tells them? If someone would rise from the dead, people would listen, right? Right? Amen. 